0: Welcome to the Happy Home Birth Podcast, your source for positive natural childbirth stories and your community of support, education, and encouragement in all things home birth and motherhood. Well, hey there, everyone, and welcome to the Happy Home birth Podcast. I'm your host, Caitlin Fusco. This is episode 57, and it is the first episode of the new year 2020, and we are a year into the podcast. So I want to start this episode out like I oftentimes like to, with a question. When it comes to finding your way to your home birth midwife, was this an easy or difficult path for you? After two hospital births, Krista knew she was ready to take birth home. The issue, however, was finding a care provider. In western Pennsylvania, midwives are publicly prosecuted for attending home births. CPMs and traditional midwives alike are underground. Krista mentioned she felt like she was calling a black market midwife. In this episode, we discuss it all, from birth trauma to faulty legislation, but we end the way I pray all births do victoriously join me as we learn about krista's experience with three under three and before we jump in i would like to take a moment to thank our reviewer of the week which is phil naff one of the few podcasts i enjoy is the title i'm 39 weeks pregnant with our fourth six four and one and a half and have been enjoying listening to this podcast for the last month or so Really love the variety of stories, Caitlin's voice, and the flow of information and well-prompted question and answers, etc. Also love her Christian view/slash heart that is incorporated, and the fact she does have non-Christian moms share their stories as well. Just a fabulous, well-rounded podcast on birth and especially empowering to home birth interested moms and dads. Good work. Number one, thank you so much, Phil Naf. Number two, I hope that you will let me know how your birth went. This was sent in on November 25th, so I'm I'm really curious to hear if you had a beautiful home birthing experience. I pray that you did. If you will email me at caitlin at myhappyhomebirth.com, I will be sending you a sticker. Please guys, if you would take a moment to take a screenshot of you listening to this episode and upload it to your Instagram stories, tagging happy home birth podcast, I will be sure to share that in my stories as well. Please remember that the views of my guest might not necessarily reflect my own and vice versa. Neither one of us are medical providers. So continue to see your doctor midwife, or if you're like me, your chiropractor, let's jump on over to the interview. Krista, I am so excited to have you on the Happy Home Birth Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me.
1: Absolutely. I'm so excited to be here. I can't believe we're finally connecting.
0: Right. I know. It's it's one of those things. It's so cool how there are some relationships that form over social media, over Instagram, and it's like, oh, that's my good friend, Krista, who I've <laughs> never actually talked to.
1: Right. I know. It's uh, so much of times I, I feel like these days, where social media internet is always blamed for, you know, ruining relationships, but you know, um, we've been fortunate enough to connect through through this medium, and I feel like I know you
0: exactly. Well,
1: so on that note, would you mind introducing yourself to the audience? Sure, my name is Krista Thompson. I am, uh, among other things, a corporate lawyer. I live in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Um, I have three little ones. Um, we just got out of the three under three stage, but um, I have my son Nico is just turned three. My daughter is a year and a half, and my newest baby is almost four months. Oh, that
0: is so wonderful, and I'm sure it takes a lot of balancing and figuring things out on along the way, just like all parenthood does.
1: My <laughs> goodness, That's- that's so true. It's definitely a lot of trial and error and, and learning, uh, well, ta- learning on yeah. the Yeah,
0: I'd love to hear a little bit about that. What has your journey been like?
1: Sure. So um, I knew I wanted to have my kids close in age. I, I always knew that. I loved the idea of having um, you know, built-in friends, which siblings are anyway, but by virtue of them being so close in age, I knew we could be in the same season of life together Um, It really excites me to think that, you know, one day I won't have to carry around diapers, wipes, uh, you know, pouches of organic puree and a bunch of other things that parents need to carry all the time, that I won't have to have, you know, two strollers and three different book bags and all of that. Um, And that one day my kids will be in middle school together and high school together and just kind of travel through life at the same time. So it was very intentional to have my kids so close together. Um, knowing that it would be a lot of hard work, particularly at this stage where they're so needy. I mean, when you have one child, it's like, Oh my gosh, your world changes forever and then you had a I'm sure you know recently. Huh. You know, it's um, adding, adding the second and then and then the third just like, Okay <laughs> Everything goes out the window and, and this is what we're doing now. We're just our standards are laxed a little bit and uh we just figure it out every day. But gosh, let me tell you, it's so cool, Caitlin, to have um, three little people, and to watch them love each other, everybody told me when I became a mom, like watching your child like run to you excitedly at the end of the day or in the morning would be the best thing, and that when you had more than one, watching them love on each other would be the best part and that is so true for me, like just watching my older two with a baby and, and how they interact with each other is is just so powerful. I love it
0: oh, I could not agree more, and even yeah, even with just two so far, the way that my oldest loves my youngest. And then the way that the youngest lights up, like completely lights up when Janie's doing stuff that's like, you know, borderline dangerous <laughs> like to her. They still, they just love each other so immediately and deeply. Ah, it's It's absolutely the best feeling. It's,
1: it's, it's like so many things that I enjoy about you know, the kind of um, births that, that we have talked about in the past you know, with our, our natural setting. It's a natural love. Like you can't teach it. You can't learn it. It's just something that happens, and it's really cool to just to watch. Right.
0: Well, I actually would like to discuss too, you have a blog that is so fascinating that was called three under three and me, and now you have rebranded. I would love for you to kind of talk about that for a
1: second. (laughs) Thanks so much. Yes, so of course my life is three under three, and once you're part of the club, you never really graduate. Right, that makes <laughs> However, sense. However, um, so I would often write about um, you know the, the trials that, that I faced with with having three kids so close in age. Talk about being a working mom and st- some other like conscious parenting, you know, aspects. I'm, I'm really one of those moms that I parent better outside of the house. I don't know um, how many people might relate to that, but I'm I'm always on the go with my kids because. My nightmare is like being stuck at home for three snow days in a row. <laughs> <laughs> right. I love my kids, but I love like taking them places and experiencing um, you know museums and you know just going on walking downtown or you know along the river, just doing different things with them. So I would just write about that because I got so many questions it just kind of naturally formed. I also write a little bit about um, codependency and those that um, might struggle with. Um, like, narcissistic abuse or, you know, empath recovery, Um, that's uh, a part of my story as well, and it's uh, something that I have been encouraged by my readers um, and those that I interact with on social media as well to to talk about. So that's all part of my blog. And as we graduated out of the three under three age officially, I was looking and searching for... uh, A way to connect with my viewers, even you know, through this next phase, Mm -hmm. and uh, that's why I rebranded to RecoveringSuperwoman.com because I feel like that's exactly what I am. I used to have this mindset of, I can do anything, I could do it in stilettos. You just watch me rock this, and I found like that was very self-centered way of looking at life. And we don't have to be that way. We look at social media and we just are stuck in the comparison game, right? We see, like, oh, look at this mom's doing that. And I have always tried to be very real on, on my various feeds and, like, talk about the struggles that I face and the, the things that I'm going through. So I always have joked with people, you know, I'm recovering, Superwoman. Um, I'm, I'm trying to not be that way and to, to try to own the, the failures and the fears that I face on a daily basis And uh, the response that I've gotten has been so great. So many people just seem to be able to relate to the idea of um, we don't have to do it all, but if you want to do it all, you should do it on your own terms.
0: Right. Oh, I love that. Yes, because, you know, just where we are as a society today has become so siloed. And we're all feeling like, well, we've just got to do this alone and we have to do all of it and it's got to be perfect. And, And man, postpartum will bring you to your knees (laughs) and it will really change your outlook on that (laughs) and help you realize like, hey, you really probably should let this person come help you do your laundry, you
1: know? (laughs) (laughs) We really have to learn how to um, ask for help and accept help when it's offered. I know so many times when you know, someone's reached out to me and said, hey, can I, you know, can I bring you a meal? Can I this?" I'm like, oh, that's so nice. Thank you. You're so thoughtful. Don't worry about it. Yeah, oh, <laughs> It's okay. It's, it's <laughs> okay to say yes. And you have to embrace that. Um, and, and that's, that's part of, um, of what I'm writing about and what my platform is about and the education I'm trying to bring and really normalizing it.
0: Oh, that's phenomenal. I'm so grateful for all of the work you're doing on that front. And now I would love to really get into your birth stories. And I know you had a home birth with number three, but that's not how it started. So I'd love to hear what what was this journey like for you? Three births relatively close together, but a, a good bit of change throughout, right?
1: Yes. Yes. And you know, Caitlin, I wish I could tell you that I had a defining moment where I knew that I wanted to uh, birth differently, where I kind of started my journey to, you know, crunchy mama. <laughs> but um, I, absent, you know, the, the birth of my first child in my experience um, in a hospital setting, um, and I think it was through the process of, you know, When when babies are born, right? It's it's not just babies; it's moms that are born as well. And it was really when I became a mom that I realized I wanted to take back um, I wanted to take back birth. I wanted to own it. I wanted to uh, to really have it on my terms. And that our our system today, you know, for liability reasons, profiteering reasons, is is just not set up that way. So. my son um, was born in July of 2016. Um, I, we became pregnant pretty quickly after we got married um, and uh, had a pretty normal pregnancy, all things considered. I um, was seeing the um, obstetrician that I had seen for the previous number of years. Um, I loved him. I remember going into the office the, for my first appointment, and he gave me a high five, like, congratulations. <laughs> like, it was very um, relaxed and cordial, great bedside manner for, um, for a doctor. I really uh, enjoyed, um, you know, going in for, for my visits. But of course, I was part of a practice where you had, you know, a rotating number of physicians, probably 10 or so, and each appointment you came in was different. So while I really enjoyed the provider that I had chosen, you know, for my annual visits and you know, miscellaneous, um, you know, trips. In I, of course, would not be able to choose whatever physician would show up that day. And there was such diversity in the practice um, that I was attending between um, the providers. They had different opinions and different um, ways of wanting to do things. That I think my, I started to become, you know, on guard, on edge, probably midway through my second trimester. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you know, different providers would come in the room and talk about you know the roles that they had for for giving birth. And you know, after four hours, you know, you needed to, of your water breaking, you need to be induced. And after 24 hours, you know, if you didn't deliver, you need to be C-sectioned. And they want you to sign all these documents prior to even showing up at the hospital. Mm. You know, saying agree to this method of care. And it was just really crazy to me because I couldn't think, Caitlin, of any other time in my life where you know, you would have to agree to a certain manner of care and, you know, different contingencies or nuances that could come up in advance of the situation. Right. (laughs) So it was crazy to me to think like, okay, yes, I'm going to agree to have a C-section after X number of hours pass just because that's what your policy is and what you're comfortable with. What about Mm -hmm. what I'm comfortable with?
0: Right. Oh, yes. Just the idea of like, okay, yep, I am signing away every option, like all of the things that I may want, just because you're giving me this paper that says I need to. Right. And the, right. the fact and that that's even, you know, expected is, is kind of kooky.
1: Yeah. How is that a thing? (laughs) Mm -hmm. You know, um, and of course, um, I'm a lawyer. I mentioned I read everything. I'm always the person that says, "Okay, you know, let me read it before you sign anything. And I've now taken it to the opposite extreme of instead of just blindly signing things, you know, I sign nothing. If I ever have to go to the Mm -hmm. hospital with my kids, the emergency room, whatever, like I never sign a consent to treat. I wish someone could explain to me how you sign a consent for treatment upon walking into an emergency room or a doctor's office when you don't know what the treatment is going to be. Oh, yes. <laughs> how, could I, how could that possibly be informed consent? How, how could that be? And each time I've had to, you know, visit, a, you know, an emergency room or a doctor's office, and thankfully it's not too frequently, the, you know, um, registration attendant will look at me like I have six heads when mm-hmm. I say, well, I don't know what the treatment is, so I'm not comfortable signing it. And they're like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> You're not going to sign this paper. Well, I'm glad to sign it once I know what you know what's going on. But I'm not going to certainly sign it before I see a doctor or before um, you know, b- before I could possibly understand what might be wrong with my child. Um, so, I mean, that same concept was applied to to my birth at the time. Okay, here I am, 24, 25 weeks pregnant. You want me to sign these various policies and procedures about what will happen at my birth, even though. It's 15 weeks away, and we don't know what will happen at my birth.
0: Right. Ugh, it's what a situation. Me. So that is kind of, that's when you started feeling like, oh, this is kind of weird.
1: Yes, and I, I mean, I've always been someone that, you know, questioned the status quo, but we're just not, the, the average childbearing woman is just taught to accept what doctors tell you, right? This is what they say. They must have your best interest in mind. And it's really not until you start to go through it that you, you start asking questions and you start realizing this, this doesn't seem right. Mm-hmm. Or, this, this doesn't seem like the way I want to do it.
0: Right. Right. This isn't necessarily for my benefit. Yes. So tell me about that about the rest of that pregnancy. So you get to your second trimester, little signs are flashing, like or little red flags are popping up, but but you did continue with that practice.
1: I did until I hit 28 weeks. And, oh. Um, I got in, uh, it came to a regular appointment. I think I had just started, you know, where you start going every two weeks or so. And I had seen a, a particular provider. She was female. Um, and um, I, I Can't recall exactly what it was, but it was it was some sort of yes X Y Z has to happen, and please can you stop asking me any more questions about this? You can discuss. You have a doula, don't you? You can discuss this with her. Now, of course, we know doulas are not medical practitioners; they are not supposed to give medical advice. Uh, but she was so annoyed by the fact that I had had a doula that would be attending my birth that you know she was like. Please take your questions to your doula. And I said, this is the last time I'm ever stepping foot in this office. And I left that day um, and called my doula. um, And I said, all right, we're changing (laughs) changing providers. Where where are we going to start looking? And she gave me some suggestions. I found midwives that practiced at the same hospital. And uh, the next week I started seeing, or maybe it was two weeks later, right around 30 weeks, I started seeing midwives. That practiced out of the hospital, and I, I changed providers right at 30 weeks.
0: Wow. I, you know what? It's kind of crazy how common that theme is with, with people that I've spoken to, not only interviews, but just face-to-face. Like you get to a certain point, you get to that point where you're seeing your care provider or providers when it's a massive practice, like more routinely, and that's when it's like, "Oh, hey this feels bad. (laughs) This feels like not a good idea.
1: Yes. And I think I probably would have had a great experience if I delivered with the OB that I was, in, uh, seeing right. for the years prior. But I just had no guarantee that would happen. And I said, this isn't for me. I know that I need to be comfortable in that setting. So um, I switched to a midwife practice, of course, you know, was blown away by the very first uh, consultation I had, you know, a 90-minute meeting. Like she walked in, gave me a hug, offered mm-hmm. me some, you know, decaf tea. And it just felt like, oh, it's still, like a friend that I'm talking to, answered every question I possibly had and just made me feel so comfortable. Uh, it, it was it was really fantastic, and I you know stayed with that practice through uh, through the end of my pregnancy. And let me tell you about a little bit about my labor and delivery story because this is really also yeah. what shaped um, shaped my mindset and really uh, brought me to, to where I was to the point where I eventually um, had a home birth. Um, so I had had weeks of prodromal labor. I was. Um, very educated about birth through through pregnancy, you know not by reading your typical week by week of pregnancy books, but I had read birth stories and um, and did quite a bit of work to try to make the the birth the way that I wanted it, particularly after switching providers but uh, i wasn 't so educated about the various things that could go on you know in pregnancy and, and in early labor that Kind of might slow it down. So I had had weeks of prodromal labor, and I wasn't even familiar with what prodromal labor was. I just kept knowing that I was having contractions. They weren't. They were different than Braxton Hicks contractions. Um, And I was just kind of under that guise of what is going on? Like my body is broken. Why does it keep doing this? Start, stop, start, stop. This is really before I knew the key advice of prodromal labor, which is don't try to make it go faster or start labor. Try to make it stop.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. You want to make
1: prodromal labor stop. That just means that your body's trying to do some early work, trying to maybe turn the baby into a better position, but you're not actually dilating your cervix. You're not actually, you know, making any advances. Um, so I was getting pretty tired by the time I was approaching 40 weeks just from the normal pregnancy, not, you know, not sleeping, insomnia, getting up to go to the bathroom every few minutes, and then all of these contractions that I really didn't understand um, so the time that I went into labor, it was a Monday afternoon on I think July 25th, and uh, I had had a, a work event that night, and like my contractions were starting to become more regular, and I just knew that um, you know, this was a little bit different. Uh, so went home and, you know, did the walks around the block, and it was doing hills and everything I can to be like, yes, let's make this go faster, and um, my labor stalled. So I went to sleep that night, um, you know, woke up to contractions and this pattern continued for the next two days, um, into Wednesday, um, finally got to the point where I was like, what is going on? And I had a, an appointment with my midwives that day. Um, they did check me, but I didn't want them to tell me if I was dilated at all because I didn't think that information would be helpful to me. Um, And like, but I could see on her face that I probably wasn't dilated at all or very little. (laughs) Um, So I I think that also set me back and I was just starting to get so frustrated. Well, it got to the point that, you know, going into this third night now of what was definitely early labor that um, I I was starting to to just get very frustrated. So we went to the hospital, um, you know, called my doula. They did admit me. um, I think they told me I was one and a half centimeters dilated. And I was so frustrated because I was like, how can it be this bad? And I'm only one and a half centimeters dilated. Well, later I learned that there were some reasons for that. Um, I had had a a procedure a number of years earlier, um, that had left some residual scar tissue and
0: that Mm -hmm. really
1: prevented my cervix from, from dilating initially. So, Um, My midwife did do some, like, manual um, manipulation and massage um, to my cervix to kind of help that, and that really made a difference, but we didn't realize that early on, that that was what the problem was. Um, I was fortunate that um, when I checked into the hospital, and this was probably going into midnight, into Thursday, the midwife that was there, who was at the end of her shift, ended up staying with me for the 24 hours almost that it took until I had the baby. It was just You're amazing kidding. the work that, no, the work the midwives do. She didn't, she, she went and took a nap at one point, but she stayed on um, with me. And my son wasn't born until 6 o'clock the Thursday night. Mm. Uh, so she had worked a 12-hour shift and then stayed with me for, you know, almost 20 hours, which was just incredible to me, the, the dedication to, um, you know, to, to um, childbearing women and, and pregnant women. It, it was just really mind-blowing to me. So uh, through the course of that night, uh, I think somewhere in, um, you know, around noon that day I decided to have an epidural. Um, finally, uh, gave me a chance to get a little bit of sleep. I quickly dilated to 10 centimeters, and they're like, okay, let's push. <laughs> um, of course, I wasn't really feeling any urge to push and didn't really know how to push, so my pushing phase went for about two and a half hours, and um, there was a point where some I, I noticed a, a change in the in the room. Um, several doctors started coming in. I noticed like them wheeling some stuff into the room, um, and I really didn't know what was going on. Um, I think my midwife was probably trying to shield me from what was going on. And just try to keep me going, pushing. But what it was was the hospital had a a two-and-a-half-hour policy where if you're pushing for two-and-a-half hours, um, they're either going to vacuum the baby out or they're going to take you to the OR for a C-section. Oh, Um, my
0: word.
1: Yes. (laughs) And so we were, like, minutes away from, from that happening. And uh, I asked my doula what was going on. She explained it to me. Of course, that did panic me a little bit, but it also gave me like this adrenaline rush where this baby is coming out. There's no way that you're, (laughs) you know, that that is happening. Um, The baby was not stuck. The baby was down, but he was posterior. So that Mm. was what was causing my labor to, uh, to, for, for the weeks of prodromal labor, as well as the um, the, the long, early labor phase that I experienced. Um, so I was able to, to push the baby out. It was quite difficult. Um, I tore pretty significantly. Um, but I did not have to have a cesarean section. They did not have to vacuum my baby. And um, that, that was ultimately, to me, you know, a success, being able to deliver the baby without that assistance. However, um, in those two minutes before the baby was born, I apparently triggered a um, an alert for a choreo infection, uh, which uh, choreo in my general understanding, is just an infection that uh, that is shown by high blood pressure um, an elevated temperature, um, and a few other boxes that you check. And I checked those boxes probably because I had been in labor for a very long time, mm-hmm. uh, probably cause I was pushing for two and a half hours. And you just told me that you're going to have to vacuum or C-section my baby, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you know, um, because I hit this magic number of minutes. And, um, so, um, baby was born, put on my chest for about two minutes Um, and then they literally took the baby out of my hands. And I'm like, what is going on? And they said, he has choreo, you have choreo, we need to get him to the NICU, Um, he needs antibiotics. Um, And it was happening so fast that I didn't know what was going on. I, I didn't have a chance to ask questions. They literally, I mean, when someone rips your baby out of your hands, I mean, you assume this is a life or death dire situation. And choreo can be a very fatal infection for a young baby. However, the baby was showing no signs of having this infection, as I later learned. Um, I also had learned that my um, trigger points and the boxes that I had checked had returned to normal within five minutes of giving birth.
0: Oh my um, gosh. Baby oh my had
1: God. a nine and a 10 APGAR score, but had to be admitted to the NICU, um, hooked up to all sorts of machines and monitoring, and had um, you know, needles and IVs and everything throughout his body. Um, for you know the next several days completely unnecessarily. I appreciate the precautionary nature of making sure that my child was okay, but what I didn't do, Caitlin, was I didn't ask questions. I was tired. I just had my baby ripped out of my arms and was going through a major hormone shift, as happens after birth, and I, I just didn't know what to do. Thank goodness mm-hmm. my doula was with mm-hmm. me because... The plan that my husband and I had was if something were to go wrong, you follow the baby. Um, And everybody left the room, including my husband, and it's just me and my doula and a doctor that's stitching me up. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, what is going on? And I couldn't get any information about my child. And nearly four hours later, I was able to see my child who hadn't eaten, had been torn away from me, the only person that he had known. Um, you know, for the last nine and a half months (laughs) of development in the womb. And I could, you know, I got down to the NICU and I, you know, just see him screaming and probably starving, experiencing hunger for the first time. And it was so, that moment was so traumatic for me, but I used that trauma and it completely shaped who I am today. So while that experience I mean, my, my child was okay. I'm very grateful for that, and I am not trying to take away from the great work that NICU teams do or the parents that have to experience, you know, much more um, severe uh, NICU stays. Um, but mine was unnecessary. Uh, right. My child was okay. But so that experience of an unnecessary, um, you know, intervention like that and experience for my child and myself. Um, was very difficult. Um, and it really, it really changed the way that I, I viewed um, probably how I raise my child, how I um, you know, uh, administer health care and, um, and, and take care of my children on a daily basis, how I parent. And it definitely shaped how I was going to have my future babies.
0: Right. Well, and you know, I love to hear how negative situations can be used for good. And I think that's so beautiful about this. But really, when you get down to the meat of the situation, that's just infuriating. That is just, it's sickening to think, okay, and to it, you have, number one, you have two and a half hours to push a baby out with no regard to what position the baby is in, no regard to mm-hmm. anything. It's just like, well, this is just the number we've decided. Like what? Right. There was no
1: that? customization of the care. It was, <sighs> these are, you know, this is a number that I'm sure was created with good intention and is, you know, meant to be indicative of potential liability and, you know, potential maternal fetal outcomes. However, that number, two and a half hours, wasn't applied to me, my baby. Like you said, the position of my baby, the labor that I had had, the pregnancy that I was experiencing. Um, It was just a, it could have been a completely random number. And for all intents and purposes, it was.
0: Right. Well, especially for a first-time mom, like oh my word like it takes a while a first-time mom with an epidural it's gonna be a minute to figure out pushing guys like that's just <laughs> oh that just exactly. oh, it hurts it just hurts my heart to hear when I because sometimes you know you get so settled into like oh well this is what birth is like it's beautiful and flowery and and you're at home and it's wonderful that is not what most people are experiencing and that's that's heartbreaking when you hear like, Oh, well, these are actually the policies that are going on in the hospital. And like you You're said, right. I'm sure, I'm sure that like, yeah, it's a liability thing, but how, how painful and how cruel to take a baby away from its mom with just a few signs of like the mom had a temperature that went away before the baby is even out of the room, like,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and, and sen- sending them away for four hours. Oh right. my word just shocking. But then the other thing I wanted to, to kind of bring up, you were saying, you know, I didn't ask questions because I was, I was tired. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously. Like, of course that this is how people are able to, or the system is able to get away with this.
1: They're, it's like preying on, on tiredness. You can't. the most vulnerable moment of your life. I mean, right. in the moments right before your baby is born and in the moments after, I mean, there there is no experience on earth that I know of, at least, that equates to that. And um, to come in with, you know, I don't want to say forced decisions. No one said, hey, is it okay if we take your baby to the NICU because he's showing, showing some signs of an infection, and this is a precautionary measure, but... We think it's in the best interest. There was no informed consent. It was, Mm -hmm. we took the baby, we left the room. I don't even know where the NICU is in relation to where I am, you know, in the hospital. And I certainly can't move because I have, you know, a periurethral third-degree tear that requires two hours of stitching before I can go anywhere. So um, this was not a, you know, my child's life is in danger, you know, serious you know, risk. But if I were to go through it again, I, I would not have let go of that baby. Like you can see the look on my face. My doula, you know, had taken some pictures uh, during the, um, you know, right after the baby was born again, hospital doesn't allow pictures during birth, but oh right my after. Word. And like, Don't you can <laughs> see my face as they're taking the baby out of my arms. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, it's it's confusion. It's what's happening. Like, I'm not sure. Are you taking him to the you know, tray to weigh him to measure him, which I didn't want to happen right away, of course. Um, anyway, uh, I, all this is to say, I mean, I've experienced some trauma in my life, and this was this was up there with the most difficult things I had had to deal with. But um, we left the hospital about, I think it was three days later, with my son. Um, mm-hmm. And my mama bear was born, Caitlin. Right, I can imagine. <laughs> I was in that NICU every minute, um, you know, in my <laughs> very uh, postpartum, messy state. And I was fighting for my baby, talking to those doctors every hour, trying to get him out of there. I knew it was unnecessary. After I had, a, you know, a few hours of processing and realized what was going on, could ask some questions. And um, it brought out that you know, that fierce fighter advocate that is just part of my personality naturally. And I fought to get my, my child out of there. And, and we did, um, you know, of course, with threats of me being against medical advice and all sorts of other things. But that's okay because when I was leaving that hospital, I was taking my baby, and I most certainly was taking that experience and going to make a purpose from that pain. Um, right. There was going to be a, a reason that I had to experience that, and I was going to use it to shape um, you know, my experiences going forward.
0: Well, that really is beautiful. And, oh gosh, I I don't know. I just, I, I really do appreciate the way that you are able to take such a situation and, and then use it for good. Mm -hmm. So let's
1: hear how that, how that did affect the, your second two births. Sure. Um, so not to make my middle child uh, force her into the middle child syndrome, but my <laughs> second birth was pretty uneventful. <laughs> and it Good. doesn't really have um, a very long story. I, My midwife that I delivered with, um, and the practice that I deliver with that hospital actually left that hospital shortly after my birth. Mm. They disassociated with that hospital because they didn't find it very um, midwife, uh, midwifery or, or patient friendly. And they switched really? to another hospital mm. that, uh, yes, isn't that interesting? <laughs> I mean, I might have written a few letters, <laughs> you know, <laughs> encouraging that and letting the hospital know how I felt about their policies, but I don't know what actually caused the, the, the change. But they did switch to a different hospital, but uh, this hospital was 70 minutes from my house. Mm. So I was kind of in a conundrum once I um, realized well, I wanted to deliver with them. I had such a good experience. But this hospital is pretty far away. Um, that just poses logistical challenges, you know, generally. But I decided to go for it, <laughs> and I decided, okay, I, I had a great experience here. Um, that's a known quantity, and I'm, I'm going to deliver with um, you know these midwives, come hell or high water. And um, that's what I did. So pretty uneventful pregnancy. We found out we were having a girl. I was uh, extremely excited about that. I had always dreamed of having uh, girls, um, although I'm so glad that I have a son as well, and um, and, uh, you know, relatively uneventful, I experienced some prodromal labor during um, the last few weeks of my pregnancy, but, and I'm sure you're going to be happy about this, Caitlin, I was seeing a Webster-certified a chiropractor this pregnancy. Oh, yeah. And that just changed everything for me. I felt like it enabled me to have such a um, more comfortable End of pregnancy, third trimester definitely helped me with um, the baby being in the the best position. It educated me so much. I learned so much from my chiropractor. I feel like she's one of my best friends now, um, and uh, of course, um, you know we we still see her now, uh, my children and myself as well. Um, so when I I'm a little bit of a labor denier. I don't know if anyone else experiences that, but I tend to doubt I'm going to labor probably because of my experience with prodromal labor and okay, is this it? Is this not it? Um, But I definitely knew the night I was going into labor this time. um, I felt it. And I remember like laying in the bed with my husband and like, just like asking him to like kind of caress my back, getting some good oxytocin flowing. And I tried to go to sleep and I did for a few hours um, and I woke up and I said, oh, this is definitely going to be it. And I went and made a massive bowl of pasta because I love pasta and <laughs> I wanted some carbs. And I went and I took a hot shower and like, I just felt everything picking up. And I think maybe it was around three, three thirty in the morning. I woke up my husband, I called my mom who lived about an hour away and I asked her to come over just to take my son to school the next morning and to, to, to help with him. But I definitely did not think that I was anywhere close to having a baby. Probably I had such a long early you know first labor. Um, I, I just assumed that I was still hours and hours away. right got around six thirty maybe in the morning, um, and I said, i am if I don't get out of this tub really soon, I'm probably not going to get out <laughs> um, I, I I should probably I should probably get dressed and we should probably get going so. The one weird um, negative thing that happened during this particular pregnancy was my amazing doula, who I hired again for my first pregnancy, um, was at a 42-week induction. Oh. And that happens. You know how there's some crossover with doulas between when they schedule their clients, and she was literally at the, the last day of you know, this particular client's window, um, you know window. And so she was at the at an induction, and she, she was talking to me through it. But she said, you know, I have to call my backup. So she called her backup, and I were like, hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna head to the hospital. There's um, my midwife's office was right next to the hospital, and my thought was, well, I'll just wait till eight thirty or so when the office opens, and I'll go over there because I don't want to get to the hospital too early. I learned that lesson. <laughs> right. I wanna I wanna get there the last possible minute. we're driving to the hospital, um, nice 70 minute drive. And a few minutes in, like I'm making a video on my phone. We're going to have a baby. I'm all excited. And then I got a a text from the backup doula saying, Hey, I'm actually really tired this morning and I'm going to call my backup. And I'm like, what? (laughs) Immediately like rage in my head. I was, Mm -hmm. what are you talking about? Like, I just you know, went through everything with you, I just started to get comfortable with you who I've never met before, um, and now you're going to pawn me off to someone else who I don't even, not only do I not know, I don't even know her name or anything, and so I was really angry. Mm-hmm. Totally took me out of my headspace, and suddenly I'm like in the, the midst of massive labor pains. My uh, beautiful labor to that point suddenly was not just intense, but painful, and I know that's because I got in a different headspace. Right. Um, Anyway, um, uh, so I got passed off to a third doula um, who was very kind and, you know, was talking to me. She got in her car, and she was quite a ways away from the hospital as well. So we're driving there, and about five minutes out from the hospital, I said, hmm, I don't think we should go to the office. (laughs) I'm really uncomfortable. Um, You know, I was feeling quite a bit of... It was pain at that point because I wasn't in the right space. And I have not really described my labors as painful before, but it was pain in this moment. Mm-hmm. So I said, you know, let's let's drive to the hospital. I called my husband called the, the midwives and said, "We're just going to the hospital. Meet us there instead of at the office. Um, pulled into the hospital like shortly after eight thirty. My baby was born at 917, by the way. <laughs> Very nice. Good <laughs> timing. It took us timing. Like 20 minutes to get upstairs. I remember um, the the attendant in the lobby coming up and saying, you know, here's a wheelchair. And I'm like, yo, I am in labor. Like, I'm a I'm about to have a baby. I was in so much, um, you know, active labor contractions every 45 seconds, really not much of a break in between. You know, the fact that they wanted me to sit in a chair was just hilarious <sighs> to me. Right. That's like uh, the... Oh, really not oh, an ideal position to, um, uh, <laughs> to, uh, be having contractions in. I was, uh, you know, in the back of our car on the way to the hospital, kind of like on all fours, that was the most position, comfortable position for me. Maybe not the safest when you're on, you know, the turnpike, but <laughs> hey, that, that was what was working. And, um, we got upstairs, um, you know, they're trying to heplock, lock, uh, you know, in my arm and have me sign paperwork. And I was like, guys, I'm gonna have a baby. Like I'm not signing any paperwork. You're definitely not gonna touch me with any needles. And please, by the way, turn the water on because I had uh, reserved the room that had it, a tub in it. Mm. Um, I said, please get that water turned on. And the midwife walks in the room and she's like, Krista, I don't, I don't think you're gonna have time to get in the water. And I was like, turn the water on. I didn't <laughs> ask you. I need to get in that water. <laughs> So she's like, I can hear her patronizing me a little bit, like, okay, guys, turn the water on. She wants to get in, but, I, I mean, surely she knew there was no way I was getting in that water. I just <laughs> wouldn't have made it. Literally, like, climbed onto the back of the hospital bed and was leaning over the back of it, which is my just favorite way to to labor, leaning forward upright on my knees. Mm-hmm. And um, she said, can I check you? And I said, Sure. Um, she checked me, I think I was, she said I was nine centimeters. And I was like, holy crap, really? Like, I am really going to have this baby. And I was just amazed that this was so different than my previous experience. And she said, you know, Krista, your waters are bulging. Like, if we break these waters, it's going to get more intense, but your baby's going to come. Mm-hmm. And I said, all right, let's do it. So she did manually break my waters an intervention that I wouldn't really uh, have done absent those particular circumstances and mm. my baby was born two minutes after she broke my water <laughs> Very um, nice. total fetal ejection reflex there was absolutely zero pushing in this this labor i i literally was leaning over the bed and she was born mm. uh, it was so cool i um i had the you know the midwife and uh, some nurses around me but um you know i was able to pull the baby up to my chest and the third doula Walked in at crowning, <laughs> mm. so she came in the room. I had no idea who she was, of course, but at that point, there was really not much it wasn 't going to slow down my labor. The baby was on her way out, and she said oh we 're delivering <laughs> i 'm amanda <sighs> and uh, i 'm your doula. In, took <laughs> some pictures yeah <laughs> took some pictures right away yeah amanda didn 't mean anything to me at that moment, but <laughs> you know started taking pictures, and of course, realized who she was, and I had this uh, beautiful baby girl that um, was born quite effortlessly and, and easily, and 10 minutes later, you know, we're up and, you know, changing the baby in this beautiful outfit and walking around the, the hospital room, and I'm like, okay, how do I get out of here? Mm-hmm. <laughs> how, do we, how do we get out of here? Uh, and how so I had did a very, you get out there? Uh, yeah, I had a great experience. We were out of the hospital within 12 hours. Um, wow. That was the minimum amount of time they would allow us to um, to, to stay and leave, and they said, um, you know, well, the pediatrician doesn't make rounds till tomorrow, and I said, well, then I'll call my pediatrician, you know, like, I'm not going to sit here and wait for a pediatrician to come, I mean, why don't you have a pediatrician on staff, if this is a maternity ward. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like um, your problem. Yeah, it really does, uh, so th- they were pretty, pretty good with me, and uh, we were able to get out of there very quickly and, and to home. And you know, Caitlin, I left that hospital knowing when I had my third baby I wasn't even gonna bother with the hospital. <laughs> we right. weren't even gonna go down that road.
0: Well, so and you live in Pennsylvania. So we were talking before we actually started recording about how uh, midwifery is is tough there for home birth. So what did you do? What was that experience like knowing, all right, I'm not I'm not coming back here. That means I'm going to have to find a home birth midwife and that might not be the easiest thing to do. What was that like?
1: Yeah. You know, it's really interesting, particularly in Western Pennsylvania because uh, of the prominence of several major hospital systems and the very public prosecutions of several um, home birth midwives. Mm-hmm. It's very difficult to find a home birth midwife in Western Pennsylvania. It's one of those, you have to know someone who knows someone um, and, you know, you have to go through, basically call, call someone else. They have to verify, okay, this is actually someone who is looking for a home birth, and, you know, they'll connect you with a midwife. It's really this crazy underground system that is, is so unnecessary. But Pennsylvania is one of those, I think, 17 or so states that has no regulations for home birth midwives. Now, you, I'm sure you know, it's not illegal to have a baby at home or in a car or in a mall or wherever you want to, but there is regulations around who may attend a home birth. Mm-hmm. Um, and Pennsylvania only allows certified nurse midwives to attend home births. But on the flip side of that, certified nurse midwives can't attend home births unless they are affiliated with a hospital or obstetrician and we all know you're going to be hard-pressed to find a hospital that's like, yes, midwife, why don't you go attend a home birth where we don't, you know, have any financial stake in that? Right. Or an obstetrician that would similarly be willing to, you know, sign up for malpractice insurance and liability insurance that would would cover a midwife practicing under under that guise. So there are no obstetricians that attend home birth in Pennsylvania that I know of. Um, Done Some pretty extensive research. Certified nurse midwives are either not attending home births or attending home births, very under-the-radar. And then you have, you know, your other two categories of midwives, certified professional midwives and just traditional midwives, which are not recognized by the state of Pennsylvania. Um, so I worked with my doula to find, um, you know, I asked for her list of what I called black market midwives, (laughs) um, because that's what it feels like. I feel like I'm buying a kidney on a black market. Um, when I really, I just want to have my baby at home and have a provider there that could assist me in the event something went wrong. Um, and I called every single name on her list. I felt comfortable with two particular midwives from different practices and I decided to interview them. Um, I did um, I, I chose uh, the provider that I ultimately chose whose name I won't mention because Pennsylvania is a little crazy and attempting to prosecute midwives. <laughs> um, my midwife actually, uh, Caitlin, was charged and prosecuted in the state um a number of years ago um for a um a a fetal death that occurred um because of a parental refusal to transfer baby presented as a you know footling breach and uh you know the the baby survived the birth but didn't didn't live past i think 24 hours and um, my midwife was acquitted, of course. The parents didn't want to press charges. It was their choice to stay home, and she respected their wishes. And, um, But I, I felt most comfortable choosing her because she was so honest. She went through that experience and still decided that it was in her best interest to serve mothers. Yeah, um, that's amazing. I thought she was that so selfless. A lot. Uh, yeah, and she continued to... Um, you know, despite uh, the difficult situation, she had was put in uh, jail for a period of time, mm. uh, obviously went through a very lengthy criminal and, uh, case, uh, spanned years, um, and it was just, I was really blown away by her dedication to the practice. Um, and, I mean, I could say all that, and there's been several midwives. You still won't even, you still won't be able to tell who she was because there's been, Pennsylvania has just prosecuted midwives um, relentlessly. It's so unfortunate. But I found her. I really um, enjoyed working with her. I had every single prenatal appointment in the comfort of my home. Um, That's wonderful. It was, Oh, my gosh. It was amazing, especially because I already had two little kids. I mean, at that time that I got pregnant, I had, um, you know, a nine-month-old and a -a two-and-a-half-year-old. So, I mean, things are hard. I mean, it's hard to get out and about with kids and, you know, working full-time as well. So, being able to just come downstairs in my pajamas and you know, have my appointment was really amazing. Having my kids be able to be there for some appointments along the way and to kind of see what's happening and be exposed to, uh, to that in my home as like a normal thing was fantastic. Um, I agree. I had a really great, yeah, I had a really great experience with with my midwives throughout my pregnancy. Um, despite it being very tough pregnancy, um, uh, just from personal side, with with my husband, some issues. Uh, Caitlin, the day I told him that I was pregnant, he moved out of our home for several weeks. Mm. Um, was really not excited about the idea of having another baby. Yes, clearly. Um, yeah, um, really, really rough. Um, we, um, I filed for divorce um, during my pregnancy, and was going through just a very difficult personal situation. But all of that to to say, like, I had this amazing pregnancy. Wow. Um, and I think it was because of the care that I received. I mean, I certainly had my mindset, you know, secure, and I knew that this was the birth I wanted, and I was determined to, as much as I could control at least, you know, set up this ideal birth experience and... Um, I had the support of my doula. Now, you know, third time doula, even though she, she missed my second birth, but she was still right. there in my support throughout the pregnancy and postpartum, and um, she was with me again. And you know, she's she's been in tune with um, you know me and the, the other things that were going on in my life at the time. And um, I had, I mean, I all all of that just. Really enabled, I wouldn't have received that kind of care if I was, you know, going to have a hospital birth, even if I was probably seeing midwives that delivered in the hospital. um, You know, I was able to sit and talk about the things that were going on in my life as though my midwives were my therapists. Right. (laughs) And that's something that's so beautiful
0: about home birth, I feel like, is the understanding of how much what you're going through in your personal life affects birth. And for midwives to be able to sit there and process with you. Uh, what what more could you ask for from care providers? I
1: couldn't. It was a gift. It was the most beautiful gift that, that I could have been given. And, you know, they knew my determination. Um, and I think we fueled each other. They were inspired by, you know, the birth I was trying to set up. And similarly, I was so comforted by having this individualized, personalized care in my home that I, I felt like these people became part of my family. Mm-hmm. Um and, uh, you know, so we, we went through the, the pregnancy um, with, you know, the, the baby actually being quite uneventful. But let me tell you one more thing about home birth in Pennsylvania. So I'm delivering, I was delivering with uh, traditional midwives. They were uh, not CPMs or, or CNMs, and therefore, they don't have the ability to write scripts They send me for blood work, for, you know, any scans, which I probably wouldn't have had anyway, um, or um, do any kind of testing, including, you know, gestational diabetes testing, GBS screen. Um, And to me, this is just the failure of the system. Um, I'm not saying that traditional lay midwives should be able to order those tests, but um, there's lots of reasons why not, but they certainly should be able to you know, actually care for me in the event something went wrong. Um, mm-hmm. It would be good to know if I had gestational diabetes, if I wished to have those tests, or it would be good to know um, if I was GBS positive or, you know, if I needed Pitocin because I was hemorrhaging after right. birth, like, they would be able to to administer that. Now, I because I had relatively healthy pregnancies in the past, I was comfortable not... I had no testing done. Literally, no scans, no screening of any type. Um, I, I was really letting go and letting God in, in this pregnancy. Um, but there, that doesn't mean that's what every mom would choose. And you know, my midwives have to you know rely on you know herbs and tinctures and all of the things that I would choose anyway. But they don't have the option to provide anything else if a mom needed it. Right. That's course, what's there's frustrating. A disincentive yeah, there's a disincentive for them to actually, you know, reach out for help through paramedics, hospitals, or whatnot, because they could be prosecuted simply for having attended the birth in the first place. Um, I mean, I could do it on my own, and nobody's going to be in trouble. But if someone comes to help me, my midwife could be prosecuted. That's crazy. Um, right, your midwife has to hide in a closet. Like, come on, this, right. is, this is stupid. <laughs> what? Yeah, what are we? What are we trying to achieve here? Um, but anyway, all that to be said, you know, um, got up to my 39th week of pregnancy, which was um, the week that I had my other two children as well, and um, one thing that was on my mind was uh, my mom, I didn't have anyone else at my birth except for my doula and my husband, and I really wanted to give my mom the chance to attend this birth. She had never attended a birth in her life, and this probably would be her only chance because I definitely wasn't having any more kids after this. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> and um, but my mom moved to Charlotte, North Carolina, a few months ago, so she wasn't even in the state. Um, and the day I thought I was going into labor or would be going into labor was the day before she was scheduled to arrive. So of, kind of yeah, it was on my mind. Like, oh my gosh, like I'm I'm not going to call her in time. She's going to miss this opportunity to see her, you know, grandchild being born. And I just decided to let that go. Like that the day that I was really feeling like I think this is going to be the day or the night. I just called her. I said, Mom, like, I don't know if I'm going to have a baby today or tomorrow, but I feel like I might. So I'm going to let you do whatever you want with that because I didn't want to be responsible for that choice. I didn't want that to weigh me down or slow down my labor if that's what was intended to happen. And I said, I'm just going to put this on you. Like, if you want to change your flight and come up here, I think that might be worthwhile. (laughs) Can't promise you, but I think it might be. So she did. She got on a plane like an hour later. Got up wow. to Pittsburgh, um, got to my house around 9 p.m., and she rang the doorbell and, you know, comes in my house, and I was like, I'm going to go lay down, and she's looking at me like, why are you going to lay down? I thought, you feel like you're having a baby. <laughs> exactly. And, I'm going to go know, lay down. You know, right. <laughs> Just not what is, you know, programmed in the minds of society. Like, you're going to mm-hmm. lay down? Like, what do you mean? So, yeah, I'm was like i going to go lay down, and a half an hour later, I, I called my doula. I was like, I'm pretty sure I'm going to have a baby sometime soon you know I was feeling the surges they were it was really had a good oxytocin flow going through me my room was just set up in this most beautiful atmosphere the ambiance I created was was perfect and I was I was really feeling like it was going to happen and I was like let me just check in with you in an hour like if I'm I'll I'll call you in an hour and if I feel like it's time I'll I'll tell you to come out because she was probably 45 minutes away my midwives were an hour away um so yeah, I think maybe 15 minutes past Caitlin, and I was like, yeah, I better call her back. <laughs> <laughs> I better call her back so she can get on her way. I called my midwives, and um, they they headed out as well. And everybody made it to my house around 11 at night. I was having this beautiful, I was laboring uh, in my room, you know, between my bed and this chaise lounge I have in the corner, which I didn't intend to use in labor but was really perfect. I was able to lean over the back of it. Um, I had a very—I um, didn't feel like it was very intense at all. My my laboring. Uh I was enjoying it. I had my worship list uh, playlist going in the background. I didn't even know my midwives were there until a half an hour after they arrived. Like the the calm in my birth space was so perfect. Um and eventually like I just felt someone's hands on my shoulder and it was my doula bethany and she's like, I just wanted to let you know we're all here in case you need anything. Oh, that's and I was so like, Oh sweet. my gosh, like I was so excited to like see them and like I turn around, my midwives are knitting in the corner. That is the best <laughs> um, sign. Like <laughs> There's your right, good right. advice. <laughs> like, yeah, they were just letting me labor and, and do my thing, and they were there if I needed something. You know, when I recognized them being there, they wanted to just check heart rate, and they did. But you know, just in in my space, I didn't have to do anything else. Um, no checks, and I just continued to to go through my labor. And um, I think they let me know when we crossed over midnight, and around one in the one a.m., I said, I think I want to get in the in the pool. Um, but I don't know if it's too early. Like, what do you guys think? They're like, yeah, that's, that's a great idea. Go ahead. <laughs> and I could tell now in hindsight, like they were inching closer to me. Um, like I didn't notice it at the time, but like they were originally farther in the corner and then like they were a few feet closer and then <laughs> a few feet closer. Um, probably a good sign that they knew the baby was coming soon. Um, but there was just like no words spoken. Like everything was so calm, so quiet. Um, Nobody was bothering me. Um, I really wanted my son to be there for, uh, for the birth, and I said, like, do you think this is a good time for like me to get, get to go wake him up? And they're like, yeah, let's do that. <laughs> <laughs> you should um, probably so go my ahead and come Right. Yeah. She went and got him up since one in the morning. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it was going to take him some time to acclimate to the settings and surroundings. And uh, he was so fascinated by birth, Caitlin. Like every morning he would just want to watch birth videos. And he kept saying, you know, mommy, more baby movies. And he would just watch them on YouTube. So he was very, like, comfortable. He knew what birth looked like. Probably not in person, but, like, watched it. He was familiar with what was going to happen. Right. and, uh, you know, I, was, I got in the water, and it came over, and, like, he came and gave me a big and, you know, we are just talking for a little bit. And then I was kind of surprised. Like, it wasn't that the intensity picked up, but I realized now as I was going through transition, like, the water wasn't as comforting for me as I expected it to be. It was very helpful to me in, you know, my second labor and, you know, at the point of labor that I was up to thus far... But I found it really relaxing in between surges, but not really during them, um, which was just unexpected for me. And I know they say every birth, every labor is different. For me in that particular experience, the water wasn't as comfortable as I expected it to be. Um, And it took me a few minutes to kind of get in the groove and the rhythm um, of of my labor once I got in the water. Um, I think um, my waters broke naturally. Um, right around 120, something like that, and my baby was born at 128. Mm-hmm. Um, it was so awesome. Um, I, uh, Of course, she was born in the water. I very slowly and gently pulled her up. Um, I had asked for my providers to be very quiet after the baby was born. I didn't want like lots of sounds or, or, or anything. I wanted a very calm atmosphere. Um, she came up out of the water. So beautiful. I didn't know she was a girl at the time because you know, we hadn't found out and you know, I'm looking at her and I was actually convinced she was a boy by looking at her face. She'll probably not <laughs> love that. I said that. Sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, but Hey, it's uh, it was what I thought at the time. Right. And like, I didn't even like check to see, like I'm just looking at this beautiful baby and how I just had this miraculous, amazing dream home birth. Um, you know, you're somewhat still in shock and awe. I think after a baby's born, like, oh, I I did this, you know, I can't believe this just happened. I felt so victorious, like, that I, despite everything that was going on in my personal life, and uh, I had this amazing experience. It, it It was awesome. It was so great. It's beautiful. I mean,
0: looking at your photos too, that you've shared on Instagram, oh, they're just gorgeous. And what you mentioned about the fact that you had set up a beautiful atmosphere, that meant so much to me with with my most recent birth. And when I saw your pictures, even I was, it was like, it took me back to mine immediately. And hearing you tell the story, I'm like, oh, yep. That's, that's really how I felt about Mine too. And the quietness and the beauty, this is, this is what it's all about. And this is what I wish for every single mother to, to be able to, at the end of their birth, say that was miraculous. That was amazing. Yes.
1: yes. Um, it's, it's truly the greatest gift you could give yourself. And I feel like it, with all my frustrations with the medical model as they exist, um, all those aside for just one minute, it's the experience of, wow, uh, like what an amazing accomplishment, what a feeling that is really what is being robbed from women. Mm -hmm. And I just, you know, if you don't know your options, you don't have any. And it's, it's our our system just doesn't teach that there's options, there's variations of normal and all of it's it's okay. Um, There are certainly times when Birth can turn into an emergency, and um, we live in a world where you know obstetricians are surgeons, and they do great work and 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 save moms and babies all the time. But we also live in a world where there's so much unnecessary intervention because of risk or because of perceived fears. Um, And you know, if you don't understand birth, you're going to fear birth. I wish that for every mom that. Um, they can be exposed to, you know, like your podcast and the work you do because it really just normalizes it. It says, this is, this is what our bodies do. And you too can have this beautiful, amazing, empowering experience. If you want it, you might not want it. Right. That's okay too. But if you want it, it's it's yours for the taking. Mm, Oh, I love that. Gosh. I just
0: love to hear how, how things played out for you in the sense that, you know, you started with this experience that was very very traumatic. And as you went along, you, you decided to take matters into your own hands. You found a way when it didn't seem like a way was very easy or possible, but you still did it. You still took the time to find the right people to be at your birth. You set it up the way that you knew would be beneficial to you. And then you, as you said, You felt so victorious. So, oh, what, what a beautiful story. And on that note, Krista, I want to thank you for all of the work that you are doing, um, with your blog, with your platform to normalize all of this as well. And, you know, it takes, sometimes it just takes a lot of people standing up and saying, Hey, (laughs) this is, this is the other option. And it's, it's really a beautiful one. Um, so, I I want to thank you so much for that. And, and once again, I'd love if you would give my listeners your information so that they can check out the work that you're doing and keep up with you.
1: Sure. Thanks, Thanks for that, Caitlin. Um, my website, the blog that I run is RecoveringSuperwoman.com, just as it sounds. Uh, my Instagram is of the same handle, recovering superwoman. Um, I have a, a Facebook and a Twitter feed as well, which you can link from, from the website or my Instagram feed. And, um, I'd love to connect with anyone who enjoys talking about all things, intentional, um, conscious parenting and, um, I love discussing birth advocacy and birth work. And, uh, I really appreciate the work that, that you have done Caitlin and in, in this space, it is so empowering for, for women to know that, um, that this can be normal, this is normal, and that they can do it. And and you really deliver that message uh, spot on. So thank you so much. I'm so glad to have connected with you. Oh,
0: same here, Krista. Thank you so much. Now, this is another one of those episodes where I feel like I could have an entire lecture on all of the quality information that Krista brought up that we were able to discuss. So choosing a few topics for the episode roundup, oh guys, it gets so hard. So please understand that this is just a few quick little notes. The first thing that I wanted to mention was how at the beginning of the episode, we discussed the importance of not only learning to ask for help, but also learning to accept help. This is vital. And I remember struggling with both of my births or both of my postpartum experiences with this. And luckily with my second, I feel like I was much better, but there's still so much room for improvement. And with the way that we are these days, you know, as a society, we feel like we have to do it all on our our own. Oh, it's just not healthy. And if we can just all learn to support one another when we're going through difficult phases such as postpartum, what a Better society that would be. The second thing is liability drives hospital decision making. So, the best interest of the mother does not. <laughs> this means that when facing the hospital setting, we have to be very aware of what's going on and push for informed consent. You know, Krista discussed the fact that these doctors were expecting her to give away all of her rights and her choices. 15 weeks before the baby was even planning to be born. Like, what is that? How can you give informed consent before you know what the treatment is? So please keep this in mind as if you do find yourself in a situation where you're at the hospital, whether you choose that, whether it ends up needing to happen, we've got to push for informed consent. We cannot let others dictate what happens. We have to be the ones in charge and in control. Don't let people take your power away. And then the third thing I wanted to mention was how having a home birth can be overwhelmingly healing. Midwives can be so phenomenal in supporting mothers in their birthing journey, no matter the emotional backdrop to their pregnancy. Care is so individual. And so even during a difficult personal experience, Krista was able to find strength and victory in her home birth experience. How amazing is that? And that, my friends, is what I wish for all of you victory in your home birthing experience. What a beautiful testimony. I want to thank you all for tuning into this week's episode, and I look forward to seeing you back here next week.